millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Episode 165, listening to the sportive podcast Yodis B. With me tonight is John. Hi, John. Hi, Brandon. How are you doing? Good, good. And hi, Stu. So when people get this, technically, it'll be going up on on a Tuesday? Going up on a Tuesday. Yep, we're recording wow. Monday night, Monday in the late evening. We are missing Clarence Swamptown tonight as we do <laughs> more no and more frequently. The podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Are we going to be... Um, unfortunately, moving him to like special guest star rather than starring from now on, you know, like opening well, credits. I think it's just summer for Clarence. Yeah, and summer is brutal when you've got the three has, kids all yeah. activity stuff. Forty-two kids, tough. none of whom are old enough to drive themselves to activities. Yeah. So we'll just I consider see. it just to have everybody's expectations listening. Consider it a treat when he's here. Don't consider yeah. it a thing that. It's an expectation anymore. He's now a bonus temporarily. But Clarence, we miss you, we love you, and we can't wait for you to listen to this and yell at us on Twitter about what we've said. What was it? He sent us a yeah an email saying that he couldn't make it, and like three had three talking points. They were all just trolling us. So yeah, yeah. He doesn't have anything that he regularly trolls you about, though, Stu. Does he? Is it because you're so nice, or do you pay him off? One of the I just others. try to. I do the Zach Floyd and just say, "Ah, oh, Clarence, you're just the best. Love you, man." I just, oh. I've, I've, I've adopted Zach's way of um, just. You it's know, funny. I, I do not do that. That's interesting. I've not we, tried we, that we yet. We should explore why <laughs> Clarence likes Stu, but no one else. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that might be it. Okay, so before we get down that rabbit hole, I just wanted to give a quick preview. We're going to talk Copa. Love talking Copa. Uh, we'll talk a little bit of Wolves draft preview and then, I don't know, maybe some other sports that are going on. And then John is reading a book I want to ask him about. So we're going to get to all of that at some point, but I want to start off talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we're recording this on a Monday, as mentioned. Last evening was the NBA Finals, watched by seemingly two-thirds of the country, which is, makes me very happy as a basketball fan. And uh, it was maybe... I can't even begin to discuss all the di- weird different emotions uh, going on. I mean, it was um, surprising, for one thing. Like, even if you were, I mean, it was just a huge, monstrous comeback. Uh, no matter who, what the teams are involved, 3-1 to one had never happened before, so that happened. It was also against 
the best regular season team in history. They won 73 games, so that never happened. And then the team that won was Cleveland. That's fucking amazing. They are uh, brutal in every sport and have been for 50 years. So there was all those emotions just in general that I think probably sucked in a fair number of casual fans who had no skin in the game whatsoever. But I've also been a huge LeBron fan since day one, so it was very exciting for me. I was about as... I think this is as happy as I've ever been for a non-local team winning. And I don't even know if there's a close second. I mean, the other one that comes to mind sort of is the Red Sox, Yankees back in 2004, just because I hated the Yankees like everybody else in the country. But that had, that had nothing on last night. So I'm a very happy camper. Uh, did either of you watch it? I think Want. everyone watched it. Okay. Good. Uh, between good. um between having to go to the basement because the sirens kept going off in St. Cloud. Right. Um yes, we, we watched it most for the for the most part, yes. What were your feelings during the um, game? I I legitimately screamed when LeBron blocked uh that shot. Was it Egodala who he blocked? Egodala, yeah. yeah. Minute and a half left, yeah. Screamed like an idiot because I just it looked like it was cgi basketball it didn't look like a play a human could make but my and now that i mean we're, we're, i think going into this we all thought we were past like peak lebron mm-hmm. and he was peak lebron the last three games and peak lebron is like a top two three nba player all time yeah i've period never seen of, anything like period that. end of discussion i mean it's yeah it's it's not even a debate anymore. My, I think my two overarching memories of Game 7 are going to be, number one, Kevin Love's somehow playing defense on Steph Curry in the last minute. I like Fred Astaire out there. Don't forget, succeeding. Yes, and <laughs> not only not just grabbing him and throwing him, that being what we all thought was the only possible way Kevin Love could defend Steph Curry at the end of the game, but actually forcing him into a really terrible shot that even with Curry throwing it up, it was like, well, that's not going in. That's awful. So that's one. But the other was LeBron's attempted dunk on Draymond Green. And I actually had to go back and sort of study the video a couple times to understand how Green managed to foul him. Mm -hmm. Because immediately after the play in my memory, just like my mental snapshot of what's happening is that Green is in the air leaning backwards, like as high up as you can get. And somehow LeBron has his entire upper body above Green's arm and is entirely above the basket. It was just such – it looked so superhuman that going back and actually watching the replay and seeing that it looked like a normal basketball play was kind of sad. And the worst part of all, of course, is that Green successfully followed him and that James didn't throw down the most famous dunk in NBA history. Would have easily been maybe the most famous moment in NBA history, right? I mean, that would have yeah, that would have yeah. been it. Number one to go up by five to clinch a championship, the best player. Yeah, unbelievable. And you know, I don't understand. Coming out of college, Draymond Green was considered like not a great athlete. He's unbelievable. Like you're right, that foul that he made was a great play, a really really great yeah. play. And he was kind of on his heels to begin with. It should have been an easy dunk, but he's just so good. He got up so quickly. Um, I mean, if there's anything Draymond Green's good at, it's 
getting in position and correctly fouling people. Yeah, yes. The only the only surprising thing is that he didn't kick LeBron in the junk like I'm sure he meant to. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how he forgot to do that. That's incredible. Yeah. I was worried. You know, he hit his first five three-pointers, and I was like, I'm okay with Golden State winning this. It's kind of a cool story. Plus, you know, I always bet on the team that I want to lose. So I had money on them. So I was like, okay, well, this is going to be fine. The worst-case scenario would be Draymond Green going for, like, 60 points. You know? So part of the way through the game, I was like, ah, okay. That's what's going to happen tonight. It's going to be the worst possible scenario. Um, It was absolutely surreal. I can't believe that that Golden State, well, I will say that they seemed like they played so shitty and yet somehow were two plays from winning the whole fucking thing. Exactly. It's incredible. Steph was terrible. He was so not good. Yeah, and not only just not good, like he was pressing, trying too hard, whatever. He just seemed like it was a regular old game out there, kind of loafing around a little bit and taking stupid shots and making lazy passes and throwing the ball away on a behind the back pass in the last couple of minutes for no reason. It was like twenty two seconds in the shot clock. Like what? What on earth are you doing besides just not paying attention with four minutes left in the finals in a tie game? How could you possibly make that pass? So it'll be interesting to see if this is like, because I think that was one reason that I, I'll just speak for myself at this point, but you know, a main reason that I was a little bit bummed at Golden State I thought was going to win again was I was pure jealousy, obviously. Like I want to cheer for a team that's that awesome, but also a little bit of, I don't even know if this is like an emotion I should be ashamed of or something, but like an old school, like it was a little too easy for them. Like, it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. It's supposed like, to be a really difficult thing that you have to go through. It shouldn't just be like, oh, shit. Oh, we're unbeatable now. Yeah, we're all healthy like, and we're all good and our contracts are all perfectly synced up. So never mind. I guess we'll just win this all the time without ever having to really try hard. So I hope that this is the lesson from this year of Steph in particular of like, yeah, man, I really need to go after it and witness how Cleveland was like, diving on every single loose ball and really gave it their all and be like, that's what we need. Cause if they had been at that level, they would have won it. And that's usually a cliche. Like the team who tried yeah. hard or wanted it more or whatever, it's all bullshit. Like I'm always on the other side of this argument, right? Like, no, they're all fucking trying hard, but it really didn't look like it with Steph in particular. It just looked like he didn't have that extra level of like, well, stop making did. the behind the back passes for no reason at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not surprised he seemed exhausted. I, you did sort of look at Golden State and think, you know, I wonder how good this team would have been if they just accepted winning 62 games and rested everybody for 10 games this year. I wonder they, what that would have looked like. They had been coached by Greg Popovich. What exactly. Yeah, not only exhausted from playing all those games so hard, but also... Cleveland made Steph work for every single every single time he tried to go around a pick. There was like a little bit of an elbow, a little bit of a jersey grab, just make it a little bit harder on him. And I'm sure that was exhausting as well, and something that he didn't have to deal with uh, all season. But after all, like, like the, that, when the Timberwolves kicked their ass, that was it. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Minnesota provided the blueprint as always. Yeah, just have Sam Mitchell standing on the sidelines cussing him out repeatedly until he cries. (laughs) You just need some... Basically, you need to hire Charles Oakley as your team's coach and just let him stand there staring, eyeballing Steph and just swearing at him. That seems like the only possible way to beat them. 
Or well, have the best athlete in all of our lifetimes on your team. That seems yeah. to work for the Cavaliers. So since we provided the blueprint, I feel like we are sort of winners. <laughs> well, we're all winners. I I I didn't I didn't feel the same utter joy in the Warriors losing that so many people seem to. A lot of people are complaining it to like any time the Yankees of the early 2000s lost the World Series, which was great. Like, when they lost to the Diamondbacks and the million steroid abusers they had on their team, pretty much all of America celebrated just because they seemed so undefeatable. And there Mm -hmm. were a couple of things like that, like the Red Sox coming back in 2004. Even though, viewed in hindsight, the Red Sox at the time were spending like $10 less than the Yankees, so it wasn't exactly an underdog story. But it's... I, I... I, I didn't really feel like, boy, this is just the best thing that ever happened because screw the Warriors. So I guess I hated the Warriors less than everybody else at the end. Uh, I agree with you, except that when they went up 3-1 and they started outright talking shit about LeBron, that was a little... It was a, it was a really good comeuppance at the end after some of that. So it was, you know, some of that, I don't even know. John, can you mispronounce that uh, German word for when bad things happen to people that seem to deserve it? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. It was, like, just about the most perfect amount of schadenfreude uh, that you can possibly imagine. Well, I, think, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far because you have to understand that a guy who was part of the sublime subprime loan crisis and <laughs> owner of the world champion mr comic sands just <laughs> won a say, title so let's say it could have gone either way for a lot of different reasons yeah it would have been gonna, never, <laughs> it's rare that there's like a studs turkle who owns a sports <laughs> franchise yeah. you're not gonna find someone who's a force or purity and light owning the nashville predators or something like that i this is a topic for actual research and maybe a written article that we would, of course, never write because it takes energy. But I wonder, and maybe we've asked this before, but I wonder if there are any um, non-evil owners, like legitimate good people owners. There may be good owners, no. but like, did they get their money in a just way? What what way would that be? Like, Not taking advantage of people. Is going to own a team? No, that's how you get... <laughs> Like not taking advantage of people. I'm sure there are a few. I, I know. I know that there are a few. I'm just the ones that I come to mind immediately are like, oh yeah, bunch well, of assholes. I mean, by that argument, the Koch brothers got their money by providing trucking services to people who wanted trucking services. Okay, but I don't think anybody would argue that the Koch brothers are beacons for good and positivity and light. I not in, not on this podcast. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get anybody. No. You, 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 yeah, that'd be. A, you'd have to. I have to go to a different. I'd bark up a different tree if I were you. Maybe a drive time show on fifteen hundred or something, or some, something, something like that. Just as an example. Go. I mean, we don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm example. saying is, just <laughs> anyone who has enough money to buy a sports team and and own and operate a sports team, by definition, is so far out of touch of reality that they're never going to be a force for good, truth, and light. If they were a force for good, truth, and light they wouldn't have the billion and a half dollars that's required that's required to buy a sports team. They'd have given it away for something or other. They'd be helping humanity with it instead of realizing their fantasy football dreams like the Warriors owner. That said, I would if I was a billionaire, I'd be the first thing I do is buy a sports franchise. And give some of it away at some point. But 
First thing I would do would buy, be buy the wolves, and then I would start giving stuff away if I could afford it. Like after the wolves, <laughs> <laughs> which you would be able to because sports owners don't lose money no matter what they want you to believe. Yeah, yeah. If anybody oh. would, it'd be uh, Dan Gilbert, the Cavs owner, because I've he they he paid their salary cap this year because they were in so much luxury it was like 150 million or something, some insane number of I don't know. It was a lot. Is my point. I'm not going to look it up. Wade, you look it up. Uh, so let me ask you. This Wade question. is good at finding the musical references. He's not real good at finding luxury tax payrolls from current NBA seasons. I rescind I mean, my request. Accepted, Wade. That's a great point. Challenge accepted. Go ahead and prove me wrong, Wade. Yeah, but I'm no, no more expectations of of our fact checker actually doing that for us. So let me ask you. This was for sure the happiest I've been for Don Local Team. Do you have any other... What comes to mind for you, John? Of like, what? not my I, team. That I was just like, I got so bought into the storyline or one of the people on the team or or something that you just were like, just absolutely tickled. Well, it, it happens a lot when teams you don't like go down in a painful manner. Like, to give you two an example from over the weekend... Mexico lost to Chile seven to nothing in the Copa America quarterfinals. It wasn't just they lost; it was that they were expected. I, a lot of people were expecting, well, maybe they could win this tournament, and instead they got humiliated by a team that nobody. I think a lot of people thought Chile would win, but nobody thought they'd win seven nothing. And this historic humiliation that was visited upon fans that annoy me with their outlook on life was wonderful. And I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't particularly like Chile. I just so this like is more about Mexico hating a team. Lose. So it's like the, pa- yeah, the Packers exactly. every year. Exactly. Like the perfect example would be the Packers NFC Championship game that they were leading by forty-two touchdowns with two minutes to go in the game, and somehow blew it to the Seahawks, including the best onside kick in NFL history. That was a perfect example of one hundred percent enjoying a game and just wanting to go back. And feel that sense of sense of righteous happiness as the Packers blew it. I do love that. That I didn't. I mean, I I happen to like the Seahawks because I like my cousin who likes the Seahawks. But for everybody else in Minnesota that doesn't care about the Seahawks, no, none of them were happy that Pete Carroll was going to the Super Bowl or anything. They were just happy that terrible Packers fans were sad. And I think that happens a lot in sports. So you, uh, I agree. I. I do feel that a lot, but you don't have any team that, cause you don't believe in second team. So the only way you're going to be happy is the opposite is I, I find that when someone asks who I'm cheering for in a game, specifically my sister-in-law who always wants a rooting interest when she happens to be stuck watching a game with me, I always base it on who do I hate the least? Uh-huh. Of course. So there's usually one team that I hate slightly more than another team for some reason or another. So it's all about that calculation between that hatred based calculation. How do you behave in front of your sister-in-law during a sports game? Are you, are you okay? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not a good person. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I definitely know that, but I was wondering if you could fake it for family for like in-laws. You go, oh, this is interesting. Um, oh, the Packers won. Huh. Well, that's okay. You, you're no. Not, no? Okay. Well, I I take that back. I, I was at a family function during the NCAA basketball tournament where I think Wisconsin was in the Elite Eight or something like that. 
and we were watching it, and several of the people there were Wisconsin natives or graduates and were huge Badger fans. And so the Badgers lost painfully to Notre Dame. But whereas normally I would have been literally jumping up and down, <laughs> I just I just sort of walked away because I know how it feels to be on the other end of that. And I like these people, and I want them to like me, and I'm reasonably new to that side of the family. And they're so all... I, Oh, Wrecking Yard has been in the news lately, and it's just uh, yeah. been a rough, rough couple of years for the Avery. So it's, it's not even. <laughs> so I... I haven't seen Brendan in a few years. <laughs> really want him to like you. I'll go visit him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is John. Oh, you happy gosh. to meet him? Yeah. <laughs> if you get out, will you come to the wedding? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John. I don't know if you saw that movie. He's no, I, talking about. I legitimately have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Making a murderer. It's a Netflix. Nope, never saw it. Netflix series about. Uh, it's a, essentially a real life Fargo, like At very high stakes life, crime with the dumbest people on the planet. It's a great combination, actually. Spellbinding. I, mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Honestly, at this point in my life, if it's not a soccer tournament. I'm not aware of any pop culture touchstone. I just okay. have no idea. I'm surprised that that one didn't uh, cross your radar. I mean, it people liked it. It was in, it was I, Brandon. There are so many things that everyone loved and that I would probably really enjoy that I just am never going to get to. And I've accepted it, and we moved on. Do you fake I'm it? Never ever? going to. No, I'm never. I just I can't fake it. I'm never going to watch Game of Thrones. I'm never going to see The Wire. I'm never going to see The Sopranos. I'm never going to see an episode of Mad Men. It's just never going to happen. What do you do at like if it's like nine thirty at night? There's no soccer on then. There's always uh, a Copa. Right now, the Dodgers and the Nationals are on TV. So you'll just find any game, old though. sport. Kershaw's pitching. It's kind of true. I, wow. Wow. I, I'm a little ashamed how completely I've punted on most popular culture. I saw like two movies all of last year. Although I did see, I did manage to make time to see Star Wars about four times. So that was great. That was really I'm just good. Maybe a nerd, but well, I, I mean, just, your Game of Thrones is for nerds, so you're not that. Yeah, I, I'm just at this point. I just need to accept that I only have so much, so many hours in the day, and it's not going to include anything that's going to make me cool or able to have a conversation about anything that doesn't involve a ball being kicked or thrown to other people. I was talking to a friend about getting older, and it really is just a series of crossing other things off your list that you'll never get to. Yep. Like, well, I'm not going to be a writer. Well, I'm not going to be a world traveler. Not going to do this. Not going to do that. Just continue to hone in on like, okay, all I'm going to do is be a dad and have that one hobby. Thought I was going to change the world. Now all I do is homebrew. <laughs> this would be a good time to tell me how rewarding being a dad is. Well, it's... Uh, hmm. I mean, if those if those things you wanted to do weren't that important to you, you just replace them with be a dad. And it's like a tangible thing in front of you all day, every day. They're like, hey, at least I did that. So that's helpful. And it's easy to succeed, you know, being a dad. 95% of it is just being around. If you're around a lot, you're a good dad. 95% of the time. So that's good news, right? That's a very achievable goal. 
It's actually mm-hmm. you've done you've actually done a lot of the work already as a man. So I now just make sure hoping. to come home after work. There you are. There you're a good dad. I was hoping for a sales pitch based on something other than its achievability, but I'll take it. Uh, well, I mean, they they teach you really valuable life lessons. They fill your heart with a joy you never knew existed in life. You can't imagine living without them, that sort of stuff. But for the most part, I think it's just an achievable goal. That's what I'm looking for. Thanks, Brandon. I feel better now. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I want to move on to Stu. Stu, what is the happiest you've been for a non-local sports team? Or are you in camp Schadenfreude with the Packers? Uh, is that it? Probably Camp Schadenfreude. I don't really have a... Maybe when I was a kid and there was no NBA team, I think I've mentioned this before, I loved Julius Irving. So when the Sixers like broke through the... Um, Lakers and Celtics stranglehold. I think it was 1983. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was and that was a phenomenal Philadelphia team. I mean, Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Bobby Jones, Maurice Cheeks. They were just Andrew Tony. I think was the first great three point shooter, and they were that was the one time they actually got through both the Celtics and the Lakers in one year. Because wasn't it like Celtics so think, and Lakers won something like 9 out of 10 seasons or some crazy number? It was number? insane. And, and then, then like, the, the, like the Rockets showed up once, but that was about it. Oh, I can't imagine but, that NBA happening right now. I wonder how popular yeah. it would be if it was just repeatedly the same teams. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, that was, the, that was yeah, that would be the only thing I can remember. But since then, it's been, yeah, I'm, I've been mostly on Team Swamp Town, whereas, yeah, we got the local teams. That's the teams that I like. What about if the Cubs win? Will you be happy about that? No. Yeah. Who gives a shit about the Cubs? Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it's not really... The reason I wanted the Red Sox to beat the Yankees, just besides hating the Yankees, was I was just sick of hearing about the Red Sox being cursed. So it was important to to me to be like, there are no curses. Shut up. I'm sick of this story being written every year. And now it's not, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's not be, really anything about the to... Cubs. It would be easier to feel good about the Cubs potentially winning stuff if Cubs fans actually existed. <laughs> yeah. but Or the they, three of them that did didn't try to Cubs kill Steve fans. Bartman. I mean, that would be nice, too. Yeah, it's like <laughs> every Cubs fan is a 24-year-old PR entry-level employee from a Chicago suburb that goes to three games a year to get hammered in the sun. Yeah, I was, uh, I was just at Wrigley on Friday, and it was a lot of drunk young people in the sun. <laughs> did getting... it seem like anybody there cared, or did it seem like it was a giant picnic that happened to have a baseball game in the center of it? Uh, well, I have to say, I'm sorry to puncture your narrative, but people seemed to give a shit. It was fucking packed, and know. people were sitting down and watching and... But that's I'm I've only really been to Target Field the past few years where there's you know there's 16 people there, and they're all that's like true. in line for a surly. That's that's very true. However, few people are actual Cubs fans, there are far fewer actual Twins fans at this point. Yeah, yeah. But it was also a Friday game, uh, perfect weather against a second place team. I mean, if they're not going to show up, then they're just not going to show up. So yeah, no, they they brought it. They came to play. It was a good time. I was I had I saw we were out in the bleachers and I forgot how pathetic and lame outfield trash talking is. I don't know if you guys have been in the outfield listening to some of these left field morons yell at the other the opposing team's left fielder. 
Just, I wanted them all to go to jail for stupidity. I know that's not a crime, but I wish it were, and I wish they were all in jail. Just for, like, just for a couple hours, just to make it sting a little. But just, well, you wearing a skirt under there? You know, it's like... Oh, that's a good one. What that's, the f- yeah. That's, and that was, like, the average... Yeah. And, it, and the worst part about it is that they were bad, but also very energetic. So they didn't stop. So I didn't like it at all. But the actual game was super fun. Uh, okay, I have no more thoughts on the Cavs besides I'm walking on air. And I can't <laughs> wait to see what happens next year. And now I feel like LeBron is vindicated, but it's, he's probably not. Somehow there'll be a, a story next year that he is doing Did something Did I read wrong. right that he can opt out of his contract again this year? I, yeah, I think, I think so? he's just signed a like a one-year thing. I wouldn't expect him to. That'd be very odd. But um, but I suppose now that he's won a championship, he can probably do whatever he wants, and Cleveland will be yeah. okay with him from now on for the rest of the time. He could be a one-year mercenary for the rest of his career. People will be like, cool. That's cool. Good career. I'm happy for him. So I'm sure he won't. But, uh, you know, it's funny because – he was shit on all season. Like Stu, like you mentioned, people are always just saying like, Oh, he's lost a step. Mm-hmm. But really I think anybody who had faith in him were like, no, he's just saving it all for the playoffs. He's just saving it. That's what he's going to do. He's going to look bad a lot of times. And even a, a few times in the, in last night's game, game seven, you know, he didn't come out of the game. He sat for one minute in the first half at kind of near the end, but for the second half, he didn't come out of the game, but there were a bunch of, uh, a bunch of possessions when he would walk it up the court and just hand it off to Kyrie and then just kind of stand in the corner. And it was like, okay, no, he's still, he's just kind of saving it for the last couple of minutes or whatever. And that's why, again, like I'm getting more into like the narrative part of it, but that's why that block was so fucking unbelievable because he had been playing for, you know, a million minutes in a row basically. And he came from way over the other side of the court to make this block. I think if he hadn't, that sort of extra layer of like, that's exactly what he was saving his energy for. And that's why you do that sort of stuff. And he's a 31 year old guy who's played since he was 18 made it even cooler. So I think that added context is why that was probably going to be, it'll probably be like a thing that stays with fans for many decades is my guess. Like the iconic sort of moment for him, which is cool. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, should we talk? Uh, do you want to talk? Yes, talk. Yeah, yeah. Copa. We, we got to talk about the Copa. Talk fucking Copa. Let's do this. John, can you give us an update of where we've been and a preview for tomorrow, Tuesday evening? Yep. Um, I already mentioned probably the biggest story out of the quarterfinals, which was Mexico being comprehensively embarrassed by Chile, seven to nothing. Hell tree. Which, oh man, it was just. There was nothing about it that wasn't good. It was, I enjoyed the seventh goal as much as I enjoyed the first goal. And <laughs> masterpiece. I, I, it was a masterpiece in many ways. And I say this all knowing that tomorrow the USA has to play Argentina, which if you took any player off the 23 person Argentina squad and put them on the American squad, he'd probably be the best player for the Americans. Oh, no. No. They're good is what you're saying. That's arguable. There's maybe a couple of guys who'd be in the the discussion there. There's 
the USA has a young defender named John Brooks who's having a heck of a tournament, and everybody really is impressed with him. And he's a young and guy, right? Possible. Is that what you said? Yeah, he's 23. It's possible that he might... I, I, I think I wrote in the paper he might be the best defender left in the tournament, and that's possible. And the USA has a couple other excellent players, but it's certainly true that if you took anybody out of the starting lineup, or especially one of the household names like Messi or Gonzalo Higuain or Kun Aguero that are amazing, amazing players for Argentina, they would be far and away the best player America would have ever had, much less just on this current team. This and is so really, I, this I, is like a, a great NFL. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Team playing a great college football and somebody today on Twitter compared it to the USA playing the Russians in the 1980 Miracle on Ice game, and it's not entirely untrue. Argentina isn't quite as dominant as the Russians were at that time, and the USA isn't quite as terrible as the college team that made up the U.S. team at the 80 Olympics, but at the same time, it would be just about that surprising to see the USA come through this one. But it's happened before. In 2009, the USA played at a tournament called the Confederations Cup, and they played Conca Spain. CONCACAF. Yeah, uh, yes, do. They're, yes. they're in CONCACAF. Yep. You're, your weird sports Tourette's is coming out here. but It worked perfectly. That's okay. Um, they they were playing Spain, who at the time had just won Euro 2008. This was the summer of 2009. And I think they had won 36 matches going straight going into that game. And somehow the U.S. managed to hold on and beat them. And even in the next round, in, in the championship, even led Brazil in the first half before Brazil finally figured out that whipping cross after cross into the USA penalty area when the, literally the only thing the team was good at was being four inches taller than everybody else was probably not a good strategy. And instead, you could just take the ball and run directly at any of these defenders, and they were all too slow to actually move either of their feet. And so any Brazil, all these Brazil players would take the ball and run right at them, and they'd basically just fall into the, a hole in the ground and die. It was a bad second half, and the U.S. lost to Brazil, but it was really no shame because they beat Spain, which shouldn't have happened. So it could happen. It could happen again. It happened in 2009. It could happen again now, but the U.S. doesn't have a big chance tomorrow night. Like a Tonight. 5% chance? Would you give them that much? Yeah, I'll give them a 5% chance. That sounds about right. 20 to 1? 
That sounds about right. And this is the, I'm sorry, this, this is the quarterfinals? This is the semifinals this coming the up tomorrow night. Okay, all yep. right. USA and Argentina are playing in one semifinal. Chile and Colombia are playing on the other semifinal. So are let's. Uh, where are they playing, John? Houston. Where? Where? I honestly don't know the answer. Houston, to that. Texas. Houston, oh. Texas, too. Jesus, it's going to be hot. Noted for being a terrible field for soccer. So, John, let's play out this scenario both ways. If they win, this is like a top something victory for. U.S. soccer in if, general, right? Yeah. If they win, it probably is the best win in American soccer history. That one against Spain is the only other competition, really. Gotcha. Okay. So and then if they lose... <laughs> potentially potentially the game in 1950 where they beat England, one to nothing. Jesus. That was just about as amazing. That's a million years ago. That one, that one was so surprising that... a. Well, I, I think this might actually be an urban legend, but for, for a long time, the legend has been that the USA winning one to nothing was so surprising that a number of papers just assumed that it was a typo and printed the final score as England 10, USA 1 instead. <laughs> I, want, I choose to believe that. Yeah, because it was so impossible, which is a great story, although... I, I think I remember reading an article where someone tried to go and find any of these stories and instead found a bunch of them that were like amazing upset for USA. It wins one nothing against England and had all the details. So that's it's a shame, but really that win against Spain is probably the only other one that would not, be. Not the Algeria game with Landy uh, Kicks in 2010? That's some good soccer knowledge too, but no, that one's not. But that was, that was the World Copa. That was the, the world. Copa Mundial. El Tirio is terrible, <laughs> Stu. <laughs> I respect the hustle, though, Stu. I know. I do respect I the hustle. Goddamn hard. Yep. What was what was the final score of that game? Was it two to one? Was it two to one? I honestly Come don't on. know. Please be right. Damn it. Oh, I think. Okay. Sorry. Well, Javier Mascherano is the vice captain of the of the Argentinian. Team. That's that's correct. He has 127 caps. I like this. The, I mean, Argentina, you got a guy like Higuain who scored 36 goals in Italy last year when nobody else in the whole country scored more than 19 in the season. Jeez. And then in their quarterfinal against Venezuela, when they took him out, they subbed on Kun Aguero, who was the second highest scorer in the Premier League last season. So their substitutes are far, far better than any of our players. What do you think the strategy from our guy, Yergi, is going to be? Well, Is there I any think, just keep away and try to somehow get to penalty kicks? I, I think there'll be a certain amount of defense first soccer, if you see what I mean. I think their hope is the hope of all teams who aren't quite as good as their opponent, which is what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to stay defensively organized and we're going to try to get a couple of turnovers in inopportune spots and run 60 yards and score. Love it. Has Jerky saved his job? I, yes. I, 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 well, I guess his job could have been in question if they'd been a total disaster, but he, he will still be the coach next summer. So the probably. reckoning has been delayed again, just like one Clarence Swamp Town predicted. Uh, yes. Wow. So Jamie's not Clarence's, here to hear that. I want, I want to be clear that Clarence's predictions are based on nothing, and he has no <laughs> idea. I mean, anyway. 
let's <laughs> just get this down for the record. Uh, yeah, I um, and we're and I'm just taking my cue from you on on the performance. It's just it wouldn't be justified to fire him now. We're still the jury's out on whatever. And no, right? I I I think it's if anything, he looks better from this tournament just because Mexico's coach looks like such a clown. Oh, sure. We'll take that. Because they, they've been so good. They've been so good and winning all their games, and yet every game he's like, you know what? Instead of playing the same team that won last game, what we're going to do today is I've assembled a team of players who are only left-footed. We're going to try playing an entirely left-footed team this evening. And then it's, you know, guys with one arm and guys who are blind. And it's, he just keeps switching around the actual lineup so that when they came up against a team who was better than they were, none of their guys had ever played before and they had no idea what to do next. And so compared to that, that's the criticism that people have always leveled against Klinsman is that he's constantly tinkering. But in this tournament, he's kept things mostly the same. And not surprisingly, the USA has looked better in every game they played. So... Huh, okay. Good to know. You can you can look at it and say, well, why didn't he do that before? Why didn't he let the team stay together before they would have been so much better in the past, which is a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it and say that he's made an adjustment in there better because of it. And so it <laughs> we said this before on the podcast many times about Klinsman, but you pretty much see whatever you want to see out of him. I was just going to say you could do, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Be the jerky you, you want to see in the world. Exactly. Okay. Hold on one second. So, so that's what's going. <laughs> that's what that's what's going on at the Copa. That's my Copa update. Um, that's a good do, Copa update. Do you, a, do you have a Euro Copa update? Um, the uh, English announcing team. It was just hilarious. I had them on in the background. I was working from home today, and that's just. I love having soccer on in the background. It's almost as good as baseball on the radio. Mm-hmm. And. Um, England was um, fighting to a draw with, I want to say, the Slovaks. Is that right, John? That's correct. Um, and the uh, the color guy, I think it was McManaman. Steve, Mc- Steve McManaman, yes. Mac um, McManaman. It was basically uh, groundskeeper Willie and the comedian <laughs> Billy Connolly wrapped into one and just getting angrier and angrier as the game went on. But he also has a really thick brogue. You could not understand anything he was saying. He was just getting angrier and angrier. And it was, oh, it was good stuff. I, I have really to imagine the, the level of anger compared to the relative serenity of soccer in general had to just be delightful. I do I do want to make it clear that Steve McManaman is English and Billy Connolly is Scottish. So they're not quite the exact same, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well But spiritually. Spiritually. McManaman's from Liverpool, which is sorta of by Scotland. He's Liverpudlian. He is Liverpudlian, yes. That's a That's very good Eurocopa update. Um and and my my Wales team crushed steamrolled the russians eliminated the russians that's correct my go you whales only (laughs) the only russians left at the tournament are organized military hooligans sent over by the russian government to destabilize the west god we're so political jeez that's really good can't make stuff up that's really good we're so versatile 
The most versatile podcast in Minnesota. Everybody says that. A lot of people no do one say denies that No one has once denied that. Do you want to move on to some some more hoops? Let's get back to hoops, and I want to talk wolves. You okay with that? There's a draft on Thursday. Draft on Thursday. So this is our official draft preview, and officially I don't have anything to say that I hadn't already said. So this is sort of like... What do you want them to take, Brandon? So this is basically... Who's your pick at number five? I will... We'll consider this a... I don't know. There's probably a better term for it, but like the Fairweather fans' guide to the draft because obviously nobody really cares as much as I do. Um, I... Don't know who I want them to take because they have the fifth pick and there's a lot up in the air on who could go number three and number four. Obviously, the first two picks will be Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. I say obviously, but that just seems to be the consensus and they're both really good players. So after that, there's a bunch of guys that could be a fit. I would say in order of availability, I want uh, a guy named Dragonbender. Yes. Because his name is Dragonbender is kind of the main reason that I want him. Uh, but he's a super, he's a young power forward out of somewhere overseas. Yeah, in the Euro League. Um, Mm -hmm. And he supposedly has just a ton of potential, and power forward is where the Wolves need some help. So Dragon Bender, number one. I would like um, Jamal Murray, number two, and Bud Heald, number three. And then there's this other guy that's been, like, shooting up draft charts named, like, Marquise Chris. Chris Marquise, Marquez, Chris, something or other. I don't know. But he um, is another young power forward that seems to be one of these guys with a ton of like raw ability. And he was like okay in college, but should be a lot better soon. And I would be fine with him. The one thing that I would not be fine with would be Chris Dunn, although I like him a lot and the Wolves definitely could use a backup point guard. The reason I wouldn't like him is because to me it would signify that my guy uh, – Tom Thibodeau is not a fan of Ricky, and I am a big fan of Ricky, so me and me and Tom would have some words. Not directly. We would just I would be talking to him through this podcast a lot. And as listeners, you guys should not want them to draft Chris Dunn because I'm going to be bitching about it for a long time. And right or wrong, that's just going to be annoying for you. So yes to Dragon Bender, yes to Jamal Murray, yes to Buddy, no to Chris Dunn. So the Wolves are definitely going to take Chris Dunn is what you're telling me. <laughs> you know, if they take him and they keep Ricky, that's fine to me. That's really, really fine to me. But I just would be worried what? that they're going to try to then trade Ricky for something. And Rubio is like the perfect player to that the Wolves need to hold on to because he's pretty good and he's cheap. You need those guys on your team. And he's underrated. What? How do you feel about this potential trade that everyone keeps talking about where the Wolves send the number five pick and Zach Levine to the Bulls for Jimmy Butler. I would do it in a heartbeat, which means there's no fucking way it's going to happen. And I'm sure Bulls fans would revolt if that happened. I also think that the Bulls front office hates Thibodeau. I think they have like beef or something. So I'm sure they're going to be like not taking his phone call. Right. That's just, just, just because they're a bunch of babies. That's my guess. Do you think this was a Minnesota started rumor? I do. I certainly do. Yep. I don't know okay. who's calling who, but I'm sure it had it was one of one of Tom's guys calling one of our media guys and laying the groundwork. That would be my guess because it's just it's too perfect for for the Wolves. I mean, I don't think Thibodeau 
wants the number five pick necessarily. It would make sense that he wouldn't want it because he's not here to rebuild. He'd probably like to jumpstart that process. I mean, he's not he's not like 75 years old or anything, but he's also in his upper 50s. I'm sure he's going to want to try to get moving as soon as he can. Not to mention, if you look at the core, Towns, Wiggins, and Levine in particular are all little babies. All little babies are like 8, 9, and 10 years old. So you want to have a couple more of like the Rubio age of 25 to 28, something like yeah. that. But How old is Rubio? 24? I think Rubio is like 26 maybe. He's still pretty young. Yeah. Well, he was drafted in 2008, 16, 18. Yeah, he's probably 26. So I think that they need – ideally, you would trade the number five pick to a team that's got a really solid like – a four, like a power forward or a small forward that is just like a good starter, and then you just roll from there. But I don't know. Maybe that's short-sighted as well. But the nice thing about this draft, and the reason I'm not, I usually am a lot more interested in doing a lot more, I don't know what you want to call it, reading, scouting, watching videos of guys, whatever, because of curiosity. But now it's like they already have Towns and Wiggins. They already have their, their two guys. The next guy that they need is just like a, fit into the system sort of guy. You know, you saw it with the with the Cavs, you can't have number a bunch of number one guys. You need to have some guys be okay with whatever their role is going to be. So that's who the Wolves need now is their like Tony Kukoc type. You know, like a really versatile four who doesn't need to have the ball in his hands a lot. That would be like the the ideal guy for them. So I don't know if that guy exists, but I think Bender's probably closest and I think it would be awesome to have him. Because again his name's Love. <laughs> if there wasn't all that baggage then and if you thought that he could fit in to be like a number two or three option offensively he would be a great fit but i don't think he's that guy but like a a solid power forward like a well i'm getting too deep into it, but like nerland's noel nerland's noel whatever his name is for the sixers would be a great Pick up because doesn't he, he doesn't need the ball very much, and he's good defensively. Doesn't he have his um, season-ending injury scheduled for next week? Though? Yeah, it'll be. I think he's has it scheduled for a week after a season starts, so he'll just like blow both it's of like, his ACLs like a out. Sternum microfracture procedure is going to be done, and like every every bone <laughs> in his ribcage is going to be broken <laughs> and put back together again with some sort of space age polymer. It's actually the very first rib cage transplant in the history of of modern science. So hopefully it works. I mean, if it yeah, if, if mean, they can transfer it all. all yeah, he'll have a yeah, he'll have a baboon's rib cage for next year. I always get I always get him and um MB mixed up as to who's the one who's always heard that I remember it's both of them. They're all heard <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I, I know I know it's a sore subject for you. Yeah, it is a little bit. I'm I'm still very much looking forward to seeing the Sixers. It just out of curiosity at this point, but Embiid is supposedly healthy. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that works. But I think the Sixers are going to want to unload some guys too, just because they're trying to also not have just a thousand draft picks. So it'll be interesting. I'm surprised there hasn't been any trades yet. Again, we're recording this on a Monday, three days before the draft. You think there would have been a few other things going on? But I also want to point out still the sheer brilliance of. I think we're crediting David Kahn for this trading two bench guys. Randy Foy and Mike Miller for the number five pick in a loaded draft. I still am thinking about like, holy fucking shit, how stupid. Because if the Wolves did that right now for the number five pick, it would be mutiny. Absolute mutiny <laughs> if they picked up two shitty bench players. 
and that happened like within this decade. So, I guess you never know what's gonna what's gonna come about. Just you never can tell. Yep, but that's my that's my thoughts. I'm looking forward to it. I don't think there's a way to have this be a disaster. This is gonna be a very funny thing to look back on soon when it does become a disaster. But it feels like a low pressure situation. Like just get a guy that Towns wants. I'd have Towns like just making all the calls now, like LeBron. Like you're the future. We need to keep you around. You tell us what to do. Uh, okay, that's it for my Wolves draft preview. Do you guys have any other thoughts or questions? Um, isn't the NHL draft also this week, John? John? Uh, yes. <laughs> Wild have like the 27th pick. They have no picks left in the draft. Chuck Fletcher has been like, well, somebody traded all these draft picks. and It's like we don't have anybody. And I guess that we're probably just – Mike Rand posted on Twitter today that Fletcher said that they were targeting quality over quantity, which is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> Interesting. When, Interesting approach, so when you have, <laughs> When you have 27 picks, you're just like, ah, forget it. Just – here, let's draft him in alphabetical order. What do you think this year? We just we got a lot of players, so I'm more work out. Other years, they just since they had so many picks, they weren't even paying attention. But this year, now this year, they're really going to buckle down and try to get somebody that might actually help their team, and then maybe not sign free agents to 47 year free agent deals that'll never end and will hamstring this franchise for a generation. Maybe then, Chuck, well. you might be all right, you moron. So that's all bluster, right? Like there's not going to be much of a trade market at all for anything that he's trying to get started. That's just they're stuck, right? I mean, yeah, they're stuck. There's there's no way to trade. It's like they have six Joe Mowers on their team. Yes, okay. There's yep. no way to trade them. Okay, got it. So no wild news. Twins, crickets, right? The only thing is that Max Kepler has been fine been better than expected that's great he's a very young man and okay holding his own it's sort of good we got rid of arcia which is i mean just pile it on top of all the other crazy things that have happened i don't have i don't have the energy anymore to be mad about that everyone everyone when they when they dfa'd arcia everyone was like well there's the next david ortiz but david ortiz was good before they got rid of him arcia has never been good yeah I mean, I can see it potentially happening just because he does hit the ball a long ways. But, yeah, it's more about what we've talked about since the very beginning is just have a goddamn plan, and we're not sure what that is. So yeah, this seems to be like, what? What are you? Huh? You know, more confusion than anything. Uh, okay, last topic. This is when we go off sports. Uh, John, you mentioned before we press record, and I wanted you to hold it for group that you got the new Chuck Klosterman book. I have been wanting to check yes. this out because I read the excerpt about football, which I thought was yes. uh, brilliant. And I I was first on board with Klosterman, his very first book, and then I kind of was like, ugh, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm exhausted from your thoughts, Klosterman. But now I thought that he seems to be either he or I are different and I've, I've been really interested in his writing again most recently. And I thought that excerpt was great and I'm really looking forward to reading his new book. So I know you're not done with it yet, but what are your thoughts so far? Well, I think in one way it's interesting because it's not 
as much just a book of Chuck Klosterman's thoughts as his past books have been. Mm-hmm. Most most of what Klost- he, he wrote a couple of novels, but most of his most of his books are just collections of basically what would be very long opinion pieces that could run anywhere. And it's just collections of essays. Whereas with this one, he's actually overtly gone out to talk to people about things that will be different. Things that are happening now that may be seen differently in the future. Like, one of the first chapters is about which which books or writers will be seen as important in the future knowing that the people that we think were important from the past were occasionally and sometimes often not important in their own present time. Never the appreciated in is, their era. Yeah, like us. Yeah, We've the, always said that'll be us. The example, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The supportive podcast will stand the test of time for sure. But the example he gives is um, Herman Melville, who is a well-known writer, uh, wrote Moby Dick, which was a total commercial failure, and Melville ended up dying bitter and broke in part because he thought he was writing what was going to be the most important book of his era and everyone was like yeah forget it terrible book but then world war one happened and suddenly melville writing about being on a ship seemed to be important in terms of having some importance when viewed through the lens of the loneliness of being off at world war one and it started being seen as an important book in retrospect, because things that happened in the future that caused how the past was interpreted differently. And so, you know, it's not just rock music and sports, although I I saw the excerpts of both the rock music chapter and the sports chat and the football chapter you mentioned already out there, but it's also stuff like gravity and chemotherapy and stuff like that, that hmm. in in future hindsight, so to speak, maybe interpreted differently. And so since Klosterman's not really an expert on anything but music and sports, he certainly has made more of an effort to go out and talk to people who are experts on physics or mathematics or whatever it might be. And so that's interesting in the sense that it's not just your smart buddy who's had a couple of beers at a party talking to you, mm-hmm. but rather someone who's overly gone out to talk to some experts in the field. So I think that's interesting, and I've always liked Closterman's writing. So, um, Does he talk about, with Melville, if he preferred Rats out of the Cellar album, which had Round and Round on it? Mm-hmm. Or did he like, prefer Invasion of Your Privacy, which was the follow-up and less popular, but most people who like Rat think it's a better record overall, track by track? Uh, there was more I depth and substance to it. Yeah, There's, I mean, no one liked Dancing Undercover. I mean, that was just crap. And I mean, that's no. Yeah, you know, it was overwrought and dramatic. Stephen and... left the band after that because it was just a shit show. As he should. So that was one that had like slip of the lip, and I mean, it, that was just pandering. I thought, but right. I, I think totally Melville would have agreed with that if he wasn't, you know, dead. Yeah, I I was just going to say the same exact thing. There. All right, Stu. <laughs> then I'll. Did you did you read the the excerpt i can't even remember where it got published it may have been gq or the new york times or something did you read the excerpt from the book about rock music i did not know i haven't either who so the point he makes is that for a long time marching music like the minnesota march like 
John Philip Sousa mm-hmm. was the most popular form of music in America. And now literally all anyone can remember about marching music is that John Philip Sousa wrote it. Mm-hmm. So the question he asks is who who will be the person that we remember for rock music, which is while it's been claimed to be dying for years, actually does seem to have played itself out as an art form, at least in his opinion. If so I, I thought that was interesting. If I had Go to ahead. guess, the one person everyone's going to remember is Frank Stallone. <laughs> from over the top. And it's, it's Stu, from over. I'm starting to think you don't like music at all, because every time we try to talk about music on this podcast, you refuse to take the discussion seriously. You always day. answer it'll Frank be, Stallone. It'll be Elvis Presley, for Christ's sake. Everyone knows it's going to be Elvis Presley. Elvis not even Presley. You think so? I guess so. Yes, I think so. Because he's almost as old as, you know, well, John Phillips, who's is, what, 120, 130 years old? Uh, he's still going, though. That's the amazing thing. Still putting out music, still, just like Tupac. Still putting out marches. <laughs> Hologram John Philip Sousa's conducting the Boston Pops this 4th of July. It's pretty <laughs> awesome, actually. Um, no, it'll be Elvis. I thought maybe it'd be John Lennon. Paul McCartney. Not not Paul McCartney or not all four of the Beatles? Yeah, I don't know why I had to choose one of them. I think you would... I think the one who will... Yeah, I guess we're going to have to go with Elvis. Yeah, it just seems like the, it's all... The, the iconic the, the, starts. The mechanism for making him remembered is already built. That that foundation has already been laid. He's already been remembered for 50 years. The Graceland, the Vegas, the yeah. impersonators, the cult. It's all, it's all there, and it's been in place for 60-odd years already. So, Yeah, yeah he I just lives on as more of a novelty. But maybe that's yeah. what John Sousa is, too. Well, Jim Sousa. Yeah, Jim. There, there's there's my actual sincere answer, John. That's interesting. Well, you listeners out there, or Stu, if he actually gets around to it, can read what Klosterman has to say. I'm going to look it, it up. It's a, di- it's a different answer than Stu has. I thought that the point of football soon becoming... Uh, it's going to soon be like a, I don't know what you want to call it, like a social flashpoint and that the only people who play football are like the people who take a lot of pride in old school. It's almost going to become a political thing. I can see that happening for sure in like 25 years. For sure. So it'll be looked at. Well, I, I don't even know a comparison right now, but like, uh, you know, maybe how people look at even guns right now. Like if you have guns at the house and you like shooting them, it's all of a sudden become like less of an interest and more like a, I'm taking a political stance with my hobby. That's what they think football. That's what he is proposing. Football might become at some point, and I hope not. I think we've got plenty of those things that are symbolic for something else, things in our lives already. But I can see that that happening. Just looking at the divide that seems to be starting now. Um, so I guess we'll see. We'll be here reporting well, on it, as you can you can count on us for another sixty years. Sport a podcast. Yep. Episode six thousand of the podcast will be. In detail, uh, in we'll all be topic. holograms at I that thought, point too. I, the, I can't wait for hologram Clarence not showing up for the podcast. <laughs> you're a hologram. You're an electronic representation of a past self. You can show up. <laughs> oh, you cut out for a second. Damn it all. I think I think the, the most interesting point of closure made in the Miller was 
sort of, sort of a reminder that boxing John, John. 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 John, you're John. cutting out. You turned into a hologram while talking about holograms. I cannot believe that fucking happened. Ah, yeah, yeah. Something We're losing weird John. Is happening to John. We're losing John, but I think it was probably time to wrap up anyway. Once we start giving uh, Clarence shit for turning into a hologram and still not showing up, that's typically the time where we uh, we sign off. Call it so. So let's do that. Let's call it uh, good talk, Stuart and John. Uh, John has already left the building. That was an Elvis callback for you, Stuart. Um, mm-hmm. And let's see. For the week ahead, go USA soccer. Go Copa. Go Copa. Copa. Go Wolves. Americana. The mm-hmm. hottest soccer tourney in and Except Houston. for the one that's in Europe. <laughs> uh, and uh, go Wolves and go, go uh, Chuck Klosterman book reading. That's all we got. Reading is fundamental. Okay. Love you. Bye.